Hey, I got a question for you today that is uh, one that I want you to chew on for a little bit. What is the most important relationship that you will have here on earth? And don't say Jesus, even that is the most important. Okay, the most important skin and flesh, person to person kind of relationship that you will have here on earth. Think about that. Some people, though they may not say this, they would probably by their actions say it is their boss because when their boss says jump, they jump. When, when, whenever he says move, they move. Whenever he says relocate, relocate. And it's kind of like you need to work longer, they work longer. It's like that's kind of the life that they live. They live at the beckoning call of the notifications on the phone or the email that came in from whomever that may be. And they, they have the right, they fire, they hire, they raise, they give raises. And so I can understand the, the influence or the intimidation factor that you might act as if that's the most important person in the room, but it's not. Not the most important person in your life. Who's the most important person? Some would say your parents. And if you're still at home, certainly your life your clothes on your back, the life that you live, the wisdom, hopefully that they're shaping into your life, that would be a significant person. But I will say this, in the course of your life, that will probably not be the most significant and most important relationship you'll have. And so, yes, for 18 years, they're going to shape you. They're going to steer you in life. That's not the most important person that, that will be in your life. It's not even your children, parents. Listen to this very carefully. I don't care if you have one or you have 15 or, or if you got grandkids, even though grandkids are awesome and I'm excited about that around the corner for me. But the, the point is, is that even our kids are not the most important relationship. Hopefully 18 years plus or minus a few, and they're going to be out of your life, at least off your payroll. That's the goal anyway, that they're going to be moving on, not completely out of your life. Don't, don't, not wishing that on anybody, but they're not the primary relationship that you have. Though I do see a number of marriages put all of their chips in on that. They parenting becomes their focus and they lose the focus of their marriage relationship. It comes all about the kids, the kids' activities, the kids' sports, the kids' traveling team, the, the, the goals and the ambitions and the opportunities that really become obstructions in our life. And I think you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, is, is my family, are they activity-centered or values-centered? Activity-centered or values-centered? Because if they're activity-centered, you have a full calendar, you literally operate off of the calendar that the kids give you, and that's how you live your life. Value-centered is whenever you say, hold it, stop just a moment. This activity, those activities are interrupting a core value that we have, and we're going to say no to that opportunity because that opportunity is not an opportunity. It's actually an obstruction to a value. You understand where I'm going with this? Is that what happens is a marriage can have a fatal distraction where it literally steps in and interrupts the marriage. Now, that's really all I want to say about fatal distractions because that's a whole message unto itself where we become activity, kid-driven. But the most important relationship, if you have it or if you want to have it or one of these days you will have it, hopefully, uh, prayerfully, if that's where God leads you, is a marital relationship. 
That would be the most important. Now I realize there's singles in this room. There's teenagers in this room. There's people who want to get married, people who don't want to be married, you know, all that, all that out there. But in the spectrum of those watching even online right now, there's some that are like, Hey, I'm in it. I'm, I'm not in it. I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to be married. Wherever you find yourself, let me just say the most important relationship that you have to guard more than anything else that hopefully goes for 50, 60, 70 years. And that is that marital relationship. And if you don't guard it, if you're not careful, there will be a fatal distraction that will enter in or what I want to talk about today, a fatal attraction that will enter in. And it enters in so subtly, but yet so disastrously it enters in. We're talking about noise. If you're just now joining us for this series, noise. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of noise in the world right now. There's a lot of noise that's been there and it just seems to be amplified on turbo boosters, whatever you want to call it right now. The, it is cranked up full volume. And we've got to do this. We've got to turn down the volume of the noise. We've got to turn up wisdom, okay? We've got to tur- choose the knobs and the levers in our life, and we're going to have to select, intentionally select, what are we going to listen to? And what I'm challenging everyone for 31 days is to read through Proverbs for 31 days. You can, again, go by the GPC store. This is the last week it's going to be open, so this is your chance to get these. Uh, the, the Proverbs uh, ESV Journey Bibles, and literally it's look where you can read and journal your notes throughout the whole time. You don't have to do this, but it's out there, and, and that's available for you. That's an option for for you uh, is, is to journey through Proverbs and turn up the wisdom of the Proverbs in your life. Do it every single day, every single week on Mondays, we're sending out an email for those who are interested in praying for our nation, praying for the noise, praying for in their life, and maybe in their prayer and fasting through the noises of life uh, right now. And so if you're interested in that, all you need to do is text noise to 97000. And every Monday morning for about four or five weeks, you're going to get an email that will be a prayer request. We're not going to load your inbox with a bunch of emails, but that's there for you. Again, what we're trying to do is turn up the volume of of wisdom and turn down the volume that's out there because what is screaming at us at at decibel levels that we cannot sometimes turn down very easily um, takes over our life. And what I want to talk to you today is not something that I, I promise you I don't choose to talk about this. In fact, I'm, I'm comfortable up here in the spotlights, people watching online. People, I even heard last hour of somebody watching from South Korea, and they're getting in a room with about seven other people, and they're watching our services one week delay because they're 14 hours ahead. So if you're watching this from South Korea, or you're in this room right now, I promise you I am not feeling comfortable sharing this topic with you today. But here's what the topic is. It's the reality that what is screaming at us is more sex, more passion, and better love. We're going to offer you more sex and more passion and better love. Now, those of you who didn't get the warning, this is a PG-13 message. All right? that, That doesn't mean if you are 13, you need to leave the room or somewhere around there. Actually, if your 13 year old is still sleeping, go wake them up because they need to hear this. Because if they don't hear it from us, they're going to hear it from the world and the world is going to give them a bunch of bad information. And we need to make sure that we're giving biblical truth about sexuality and understand it from a biblical point of view. So let's not miss the the, the noise and the clamor out there. And if you don't think that, the Kaiser Family Foundation did a study asking 15 to 17-year-olds, does your screen time, television, 
computers, iPads, phones, whatever. Does your screen time, has it influenced the way you look at, consider, or think about sexuality? 72% of them said yes. That is an overwhelming majority of people saying, I, my life, my mind, my sexuality is being shaped by a screen. We need to be shaped by pages from scripture that are wise. And by the way, if you don't believe me, that's not good enough. And you want to listen to Solomon and his wisdom, you can't help but hear the wisdom on this fatal attraction issue. It is pervasive through the first nine chapters. And if you've been with us in Proverbs study so far, you realize the first nine chapters is literally King Solomon's discipleship journey with his son, read Proverbs 1.1, you'll find that out, all the way to chapter 9, and you're going to find 15 different times in those nine chapters where he's going to call out his son. My son, listen to this. My son, don't forget this. My son, do this. He's literally, it's a father having a father-son retreat. But don't get caught in the gender. You're going to hear a lot of gender issues today. Listen, it is Mel, it is as if it's a father speaking to a son. It could just as easily be a father speaking to a daughter, a mother speaking to a son, or a mother speaking to a daughter. So just make it, it's the only time you're going to hear me say this too, make it gender neutral, okay? All right, so just apply it across the board, all right? Apply it across the board. Uh, Because when you look at the first nine chapters, you can't miss it because he's going to talk about it. In chapter 2, he's going to talk about it in chapter 3. He's going to talk about it in chapter 4. He's going to talk about it in chapter 6. And all of chapter 5 and all of chapter 7, from the beginning to the end, he's going to talk about this fatal attraction. So let us beware that the most important relationship you will have, and this is what he's tra- dad's trying to teach son, the most important relationship that you're going to have to guard and to protect is your marital relationship. Why is that the most important relationship? It's even what Jesus said was the most important relationship. He said, listen, what God has joined together in Matthew 19, verse 6, he said, what God has joined together, don't let anybody tear it apart. Don't let anybody tear it apart. If God brings them together, and I know I'm speaking in a room where, and I grew up in a home where there was divorce and all that. And listen, let's do it like this. You can't unscramble eggs, okay? So we're not going to go back and try to fix that, that. Start where you're at today. Wherever you are today, be all there today. So whatever relationship you're in today, let's make that relationship right moving forward. Make that relationship what God wants it to be, should be. And if you're a teenager in this room and you've already made some wrong dating decisions and you've done some things on some dates that you regret that you have done, rightfully so, start today. A fresh and a new to say, okay, I'm going to live by wisdom of Solomon. And so take your Bibles, look at chapter 5, verse 1. And again, you're going to see a father, and I want you to see this, I want you to read it through the lenses of a dad who... His dad himself, Solomon, struggled with sexuality, okay? I'll just let all that history entice you to read further into the life of Solomon. But listen to what dad says to son. It could be mother to daughter. It could be mother to son. It doesn't matter that. This is what he says. My son, be attentive. That means, kid, get your head out of the screen and listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is incredibly important. Be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, 
and your lips may guard knowledge. He says, he says this, wisdom, understanding, discretion, knowledge. You go back to week one, chapter one, when we did our first message, that's the prologue. He's literally saying, listen, you need wisdom and understanding and discretion. Discretion is that insight on life. You need this, son. Don't go into a relationship without this. Don't go out and get married without this. Don't enter into another dating relationship without this. Don't turn on your computer screen and look at another site without this. You need wisdom. You need knowledge. You need discretion. You need understanding. So don't miss it. Whenever you look at this, he's calling us to something. He's calling us away from adultery. Okay? Now, again, I almost called this message affair-proofing your marriage, and then I really dove into the, the word adultery, and it actually means so much more than just a man having or a woman having an affair on, on their spouse. Adultery is actually any sexual sin that is outside of God's uh, parameters, any sexual expression outside of the marriage of a man or a woman, and he's really calling us to a higher standard. 83 different times. This is why I couldn't avoid this. Moms and dads who are uncomfortable right now or teenagers who are like, I wish I didn't come to church today. Uh, But 83 different times in Proverbs, he talks about this one issue. So for me not to talk about it would be a dereliction of my duties as a pastor. So let us lean in and let's learn. Because when he's talking about adultery, he's not just talking about one man, one woman having consensual relationships over on the side. He's not talking about a one night stand. He's not talking about, he is talking about that, but he's not just talking about that. That's how I should say that. He's not just talking about that. He's talking about the couple who's living together right now, who's not doing it under a holy state of a marriage that God instituted, that God blesses, that God wants to honor. They're just going to try it out. And if it works for them when they're dating, then they'll try maybe someday marriage. They don't want to get the institution too clouded into their, into their relationship. It's a lie. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the teenager who gets on his device and, and finds a site and keeps going back to it and keeps going back to it. When I was in the eighth grade, I had a babysitting job. My first day there on the job... The kid was still asleep in the bed. I sat down in the recliner waiting for him to wake up. I'm just watching television. I look down, and right next to the chair in the man's uh, magazine rack was a bunch of magazines that I ought not nor anybody else should be looking at. I, needless to say, pulled one out, and for the rest of that summer, that's what I did. There are images uh, well removed from the eighth grade, okay, in age, There are still images in my mind. If I close my eyes and I try to focus on them, I can still see them. That's how much it is devastating and it does begin to shape your mind. So what is it that we need to do in this situation? We need to get a clear perspective, just like Solomon's trying to tell son, get a clear perspective on this. Get wisdom, get discretion. Remember, that's the word insight. Get discretion. What's the perspective that we need to have? And what he does in chapter five, just one of those chapters from beginning to end that he deals with this, he gives us some perspectives. He gives us four perspectives that I want us to see. One is I want us to see the perspective of seduction. There is a seduction that happens that is happening, that is constantly happening. Again, he's gonna emphasize to the son, beware of the adulterous woman. It could be reversed. Again, 
Just reverse it. Don't feel like he's sexist at all. But listen, there are some people working double time on the seduction line. And we need to be aware of that reality. Chapter 5, verse 3, he goes right into the call to wisdom and he says this, For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. That's the seduction. And let speech is smoother than oil. There is a there is a persuasiveness, there is a seduction, there is a drawing in, a luring in to this. They're, they're stroking your hair, but they're really wanting your scalp. And you have to be very, very aware because the very next word, circle the word but, no pun intended here, beware of the buts out there because in verse four he said, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, Her feet go down to death and her steps are followed in the path of Sheol. Literally be careful. What started off as honey, what started off as smooth, ends up in death, ends up in destruction, ends up even in the place called hell, called Sheol. What are these pathways of seduction? There's kind of two main pathways if you look through all the Proverbs. And again, I've tried to survey through the Proverbs. We're going to look at several verses today. You're going to have to jot them down real quickly. Number one, beware of the look. The look that entices you in. You can see them across a crowded room. You can see the person in the office. You can see the person even at church. And all of a sudden, the seduction begins. You're drawn in, you begin to look further and longer and deeper and imagine things that are not healthy and right. If looks could kill, we say, but in reality, looks can kill. They can end us up down a dangerous path. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus warns us against this. But look at chapter 6, verse 25. He says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you capture you, hold you captive. It starts with a look. It's just a look. It's only a look. No big deal about a look, right? I've heard so many men say this. I can read a menu, but I can't order. I can read the menu. I can see them. I can oogle at them. I can, I can stare at them. I can imagine things with them, but I just don't order. I don't take anything. The reality is that captures our hearts and begins to shape our minds and reformat us in, a, in an unhealthy way. There's two books that I would recommend out there for every man in this room, every man's battle. For every young man in this room, every young man's battle. I read Every Man's Battle years ago. Absolutely helped me in so many ways of just in the looking. It's just a simple look, I know, but the simple look leads to a dangerous next step. But we'll go that in a little bit. It was this book that began to help me get the tools to be able to work with my two boys that I was trying to raise up with values and not just activities in their life, but try to raise them up. And I had each of my boys read this, Every Young Man's Battle. But there's one truth that I learned from Every Man's Battle, and it's just a simple tool, and it's bounce the eyes. When I see something that I want to linger on and I feel seduced into, even if they're not intentionally doing it, but my head, my heart is going that way, bounce the eyes, change the channel, get rid of the website, whatever you've got to do to bounce the eyes and get away. The second way is through the lips. And be careful, men. Men, you're primarily attracted, first of all, or seduced through the looks. Women, be careful. You're primarily seduced through the words, through the lips. He says in chapter 6, verse 24, 
he, he warns us, he says, to preserve you from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. To preserve you from the smooth tongue. Chapter 7, verse 21, if you want to turn over there. It says this, with such seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. That's a person who's being drawn in. Seductive speech persuades smooth talk. There are some guys who are smoother than Hallmark cards. They're good. And you need to be aware of them. Ladies, there are some guys, teenage girls in this room right now, they will tell you anything that you want to hear to gain access to parts that are preserved and protected for somebody special. Be aware. Beware of the look, beware of the lips, because here's what will happen. That's verse 21. Don't miss verse 22 and 23. All at once, he follows her as an ox to the slaughter. He does not know what will cost him his life. Oh my goodness. What I thought was a simple look, what I thought was an enticing word, what was I thought, all of a sudden, I'm in headlong, all of a sudden, Things are falling apart. All of a sudden, my life is in shame. It cost me his life. It cost him his integrity. It cost him her whatever it is that they valued out there. See, sin will always cost us more than we want to pay. Always cause us to stay longer than we want to stay. It is a dangerous reality. I can't tell you over the course of 30 years of being in the ministry how many couples or individuals come in and almost as if they're holding a broken, valuable vase that they had for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and they're holding it in shattered pieces, thinking, how can I put it back together again? And it wrenches my heart, and I weep with them, and I try to encourage them, and I try to walk with them as best I can. But listen, it's not going to be an easy process it will cost him, her, his life if they aren't careful. Which seduction, beware of that perspective, but also be aware of the destruction perspective. Destruction. See, there's a all kinds of new methods of relationships out there. There's all kinds of new ways you can do it. And we're always inventing new ways. I was even talking to a Christian counselor this week about some of the new ways of, uh, of temptations that people are doing relationships this way. And I won't even go in to them. I want to stop. Stop with that. Let's go back to God's original plan. Because every time he made something in Genesis 1-2, what does he say? Every time he made it, he said it was good, it was good, it was good. He wasn't finished until it was good. It was good. We're going to start a series in the first of the year that's maybe going to take us the entire year. And it's through the book of Genesis. I'm calling it Origins. Getting back to God's original design. What if that was our aim and ambition, to get back to God's original design, that that part that is good and right? Because see, the reality is what the world wants to shove on you is that you need all your options. You need to have the open relationship. You need to to not be committed. You don't need to sign on any line. You, You just need to enjoy the relationship. You need to figure it out. And reality is that is a lie from the pit of hell. When God brought man and woman together, he put them together in an exclusive relationship that was meant to be exclusive and beautiful and awesome. Here's the reality. 
So a lot of people have cheapened the relationship and gone for the multiple route. Listen, let's think about it in an exclusive way, the way God designed it to be. See, relationship is, is, is a zero-sum relationship. When I chose Lori and Lori chose me 30 years ago, you know what we said? It wasn't I choose you and. It was I choose you, period. She chooses me, period. The zero sum is that I'm writing off everybody else. She's writing off everyone else. And we're saying we're only for each other. That's what a relationship is supposed to be as God designed it. When we rewrite it, this is what we do. We've set ourselves up for destruction, shame, heartbreak, disappointment, regret. Don't believe me? Jot these verses down. They're going to come quick. Proverbs 6.26. The prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. Basically, your value is nothing. And the adulteress preys upon your very life. 6.32. But a man who commits adultery destroys himself. Proverbs 7, 21 and 23, she seduces him, little knowing it will cost him his life. Proverbs 7, 27, her house is a highway to the grave, leading to the chambers of death. Proverbs 5, 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, ensnares him. Listen to that, the trap, the ensnarement. Uh, he is held fast to the cords of his sin. What, where's the cord? Where is it tied? Is it tied around the ankles? Is it tied around the heart? No, I think sometimes it's tied around the neck. And it's strangling the person. And sometimes they don't even know it. Very successful football player growing up. Made college ball, Division I. Played on a, on a winning team. Not a national championship or anything like that, but a, but a winning team. Had a degree from the college, graduated and finished up, met his girlfriend, met his girlfriend, met his future wife there. They got married. They started their life together. He was very successful. Everything was up and to the right. His name was Brant. And um, he just started messing around on the internet one time and he came across a porn site. A porn site was something he shocked him and then he kept going back and he kept going back. And it went from a porn site to a, a discussion room and to a discussion room to an invitation to meet up, from an invitation to meet up to a, an affair that lasted for a while that ended up costing him his marriage. But it wasn't because his wife left him, it was because he left his wife. When his daughter goes off to college, her freshman year, her, son, or, uh, her brother was 15, still at home, and dad, when she goes off to college, turns around and he walks out the house. He writes the daughter a letter in college trying to win her back, trying to self-justify his, his actions and his behaviors in the way he's done what he's done. And I, 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 I can't explain to you what she was going through. When I talk about destruction, I said sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay. Part of the, the shrapnel of sin is it costs others as well. I want to read to you, and I don't normally read something this long, but I, I, I want to read this to you. And I want you to listen. This is the daughter writing her dad back after he wrote his self-justifying email. He said, she said, I cannot comprehend the sincerity of anything that you say anymore, dad. You say that you love me, yet knowing you hurt me and my family. You say that you would die for me, but you're unwilling to live for me. You say that you miss me, yet you... It is you who left and abandoned me. I am learning 
that words are cheap, commodity, especially your words. I am angry with you for living a life of deception and for going against everything you have ever taught me to be true and right. I disrespect you as a man, a husband, as a father. You are a coward for not being willing to sacrifice something for the love of your own children. More than anything, I pity you. I pity for throwing away the life of, for lust and that you and that every earthly thing a man could have dreamed of, a loving family and adoring children, a wonderful job, respect in the community and all the possessions that you could ever want. You, yet you had a void in your life and instead of filling the void with Christ, you allowed sin to fill it. You are caught inside a cloud of deception. I hurt for you because I know that one day you will look back on your life and realize that all you lost for nothing. And I'm afraid for you because I know that God will deal with your sin in his time and that it will be far worse than any earthly punishment or grief that you would encounter. You are, a danger, you are in a dangerous position by not fearing the Lord. I cannot allow you back into my life until you have changed your heart. Have a change of heart. As much as it hurts me to push you away, I believe it is necessary for my healing. No matter how many times you say that you love me, I cannot believe the words without seeing your actions. As disappointed and upset as I am, I will not cease to pray for you. I will pray that God will soften your heart. I will pray that you will not find peace, true contentment, until you are right with God. I pray that one day before we die, you will have a change of heart and lifestyle, that our relationship can be renewed. I pray that in time. God will grant me the grace to forgive you. And in the meantime, I will learn to live again. I will learn to trust and depend on the Lord to be my father. I am thankful that God is my father who will never betray me, deceive, or hurt me. Life will be different and difficult at times, but I am confident that God will provide mom, brother, and me each day will get a little easier and a little less painful to face. Sorry for the long email. But I think it would be valuable and priceless to understand the destruction that adultery will bring to life. That's why in Proverbs 5.11 it says, The end of your life you groan. And when your flesh and your body are consumed. Third, third perspective to be able to avoid this is Intoxication. I'm literally calling you to be intoxicated today, okay? That's probably never thought you'd hear that at church either. But understand where I'm going with this. Chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, if you haven't read the Song of Solomon, we studied it last fall, go back and re-listen to those messages or read the Song of Solomon for yourself. This is an erotic statement, Okay. And I don't even need to use a lot of imagery with this, but drink water from your own cistern. Know where your love is coming from and stay loyal in that love. How do you, how do, you do that? A couple of things real quickly. Number one, be wise. Wise up. 
Again, read verse 1 and verse 2 all over again. He's calling him back to wisdom. You're going to have to turn off the noise of the world saying, anything goes, it's all free, just go for it. You're human, you're, you're like animals, just do it. You're, no, you're going to have to come over here and go, wisdom, where are you? Discretion, where are you? Knowledge, where are you? That's what I want. Listen, if you don't think, and I don't think, that I could fall at any given moment into sin, then I am... I am godlier than David, I am stronger than Samson, and I am wiser than Solomon because every single one of them fell into the same area. Number two, run away. Get away from it. <laughs> this, is not sin, this is not a temptation you fight. You run from it. You flee from it. You don't fight it. You flee from it. 1 Corinthians six eighteen: flee immorality. Flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, Second Timothy said. If you remember what Joseph did when Potiphar revealed herself and offered herself up to him, what does he do? He takes off. He runs. You run away from it. Chapter 5, verse 8, underscore this phrase. Keep your way far from her. As much as you can, get away. Create as much real estate, as much distance between. If you got somebody trying to seduce you in your world, trying to lure you in, run in the other direction. Don't lean in and try to be their counselor. Back away, run away, get away from it as fast as you can. In fact, if that's not enough, jot this chapter 4, verse 14 to 15. Real quickly, I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Notice how many times he tells us to get away from it. Do not enter. Do not walk. Avoid it. Do, do not go. Turn away. Pass on. Six different times in two verses, he's saying, get away, get away, get away, get away, get away, get away. Stay away from it. Whatever you got to do to get away from that, uh, that toxic uh, tear apart, tear down your relationship. Number three, stay intoxicated. Stay intoxicated. Stay in love with the person that God has given you. That will take work. That will take intention. That will take you looking, both of you looking at each other and saying, I only have eyes for you. I only have words for you. I only have a heart for you. I will not give my heart myself to anybody else. Go back to chapter 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. Again, that's an erotic statement, and I'll leave it there. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. He's a redneck hunter is what I'm saying here because he knows what a, what a deer in rut does, okay? And if you don't know, get a redneck in this room to tell you what happens when a deer is in rut. The only thing they see is the young doe in front of them, okay? So what he's saying is let's have eyes only for that person that God has given you. Now notice this next statement. Let her breast fill you at all times. With delight, be intoxicated always with her love. You know, eighth grade's a long time ago when you're a man my age. And the images that I can conjure up, I can still conjure them up. But what I love is the fact that I'm erasing over Every time I'm with Lori and every time I focus on Lori and every time she's everything I focus on, I begin, these begin to fail, fade further and further and further from my mind. And the only thing I see is her. 
That's what it's going to take. That's the perspective you're going to need if you're going to maintain that purity. Number four, and that is sanctification. If you don't realize that God wants you to be happy, but more than he wants you to be happy, he wants you to be holy. And maybe marriage is meant to make you holy more than it's meant to make you happy. I know of no other relationship out there where you learn selflessness than in a marriage. You learn vulnerability than in a marriage. You learn uh, authenticity than in a marriage. You get all the dirt and you get all the beauty. You, You get it all when you're married. That is what, when you love it all, and you're in love with it all, that's what we're supposed to be. And that's what God designed it to be like. Fatal attraction will rob you from that sanctifying attraction if we are not very, very careful. Chapter 5, verse 21. One of the most common metaphors used throughout the book of Proverbs is the word way. It's used like 26 different times in the first nine chapters. It means road. It means journey. It means path. Even last week, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Way, as if you're walking through life. Well, what does he say here? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders. God ponders all our paths. Listen, men, women. He ponders all our paths. Literally, that means when I'm on that website and I'm checking things out, who's with me pondering my paths? God. When I'm flirting with somebody else, who's with me while I'm flirting with somebody else? God's with me. But who is also with me when I am solely and completely devoted to that woman on the first row? God is with me. And God wants to bless this right here in a beautiful, harmonious way. It starts with that realization that God is in my marriage. I want God to be a part of my marriage. The last verse I'll read is Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares of death. Everything we described about the adulterous relationship led to capturing, to snares, to death, to Sheol. What leads me away? A relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus today, start there. And then move that relationship with Jesus into your marriage, into your dating relationship, into your potential marriage somewhere down the road. Bring Jesus into that and complete the picture. What if your marriage was a beautiful triangle? Not the unhealthy triangle, but where God is at the top and you two are at the bottom. And the closer and closer you grew to each other, the closer and closer you grew to God. Or the closer and closer you grew to God, the closer and closer you grew to each other. That's the way God intended it to be. Let's pray. Father, may we not cheapen your beautiful love relationship. But may we lean in and may you make it holy. And as you make it holy, may you satisfy and bring happiness and contentment like nothing else does. And God, I pray for the hurting person in this room right now who's feeling alone, who's feeling betrayed, who's remembering past relationships and they got regret and shame. But Lord, may they realize that right here, right now, they can start afresh and anew with you.
And then any relationship hereafter be a relationship that honors you, that acknowledges you, that walks with you. Help us to turn off the noise and help us to turn up the wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.